0: After taking a statewide shellacking last month, Missouri Democrats are wondering what's next. And one of the people who hopes to lead his party into the future is State Representative Michael Butler. The St. Louis Democrat joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, six five, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair as to I say, say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but uh, no
1: I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question.
0: Hello and welcome to the politically speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is
2: Joe Manis.
0: And returning for the first time since two thousand and thirteen. So I guess he's technically returning for the second time we have as our special guest. State
1: Representative Michael Butler, thank you for having
0: yeah, me. Yeah, Jason, Jason and keeps a list
2: on when people are here and how many. <laughs> you know,
0: I was thinking about this before the show. A lot has happened since 2013. We both have children now. Mm-hmm. Ferguson occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Democrats got completely wiped out in two separate elections. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think the best part about that is now we have great kids. We do. And I think that that is the most important thing that transcends politics. And Joe has has a a great child. And I
2: I have a great grandchild. I mean, a great grandchild.
1: She's just a grandchild.
2: I'm just a grandmother, but I'm... Yeah, and you guys
1: have won a few awards since then too.
2: Yeah, and, I guess uh, we have. Hey, yeah, thank you.
0: <laughs> they're on brown
2: nosy. I'll take it.
0: <laughs> they're on not so good subjects, except my, mine on the Rams, which is the only the only yeah, one I, know, I really so celebrate. Yes, yeah, subjects. Because the other ones, I'm they're not really worth celebrating. So enough self. Well, the
2: awards are celebrating, but the topics are sad.
0: Enough self congratulation. I think we're gonna. This show is gonna have a basic theme about what happened to the Democrats and where they go from here yeah
2: we're, we kind of let the dust settle a little bit and um and butler here is really good at some assessments um i think i'd be interested in your take on i mean if you particular what we were talking about before we, we went on the air i mean you had at least um everyone had on the democratic side had assumed and this is before the trump train came in and, and mm-hmm. flattened everybody that somehow Attorney General Chris Coster, his former Republican, was going to pull it off. He was going to be the next governor. Labor had been pouring all this money uh, into his campaign. Uh, In the end, he lost by about six points, and um, Jason Kander, uh, Missouri's outgoing Secretary of State, who was running for the U.S. Senate and who had been given no chance until the last couple months, came within three points of knocking off Roy Blunt, and if the over jet democrats overall had kept mar- trump's margin below the 19 percentage points that he won um candor arguably would have won and coster might have been able to limp across this, the finish line i'm sure this was not what what no. what democrats was, had had been envisioning
1: it wasn't what republicans were expecting either uh, when the when the campaign started a lot of my Republican colleagues were pretty much conceding that uh, Chris Koster was going to be the governor.
2: Hey, and I he, was at a Greitens event the night before the election, and there were some top Republicans there who were telling me privately they still thought Coster was going to wow. Play.
1: And that's and that's why we feel as Democrats right now. We're gonna. And, and there is always time for grieving, and it's still Dece- it's December now, and we can grieve a little bit longer. Um, that's why we feel down. We 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 really got hurt. The last month, and and I think specifically when it comes to Attorney General Coster, who I think is a one of the best politicians this state has seen. Uh, it hurts Democrats because we feel like we we kind of sold our soul a little bit with, with Chris Coster. He was a pro gun, semi pro life, and um, re- run against Obama type candidate that a lot of a lot of Democrats felt like. They were going to still support because he was going to win and he was going to invest into the party. And they were much, a lot of liberal Democrats are willing to know that they were going to disagree with him on policy issues and knew that he wasn't going to veto a lot of bills that Governor Nixon had vetoed. And yet they knew they had to stick with him because he was going to win. I would say African-Americans, Latinos and Muslims uh, in, in Missouri and across the country really feel down today because. Not only did Eric Greitens, but also Donald Trump, ran a campaign directly against them and against their their communities. I mean, you had Donald Trump saying all sorts of things that that targeted minorities, and he won. He literally won while while saying these things. And specifically, he said a lot of things that uh, were, were negative towards women, and that women can take offense to. And yet, he still won. Fifty percent, fifty-two percent of uh, white women voted for Donald Trump. So, specifically, I want to say I think that women. Feel the most hurt through this campaign because Hillary Clinton was clearly the most qualified candidate in the race, and I, I really feel for especially a lot of white women who feel that now they are set back quite a few years and quite a few decades because here this was this very qualified white woman who was run against this guy who 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 spotted out all kinds of things who was who was uh, not not ready to be president and yet. Hillary still didn't win. And I think a lot of women feel that, especially progressive women, feel that they have been taken back and they've been taken for granted, and they just they don't feel like they, they were this close to reaching the pinnacle goal of having a woman president, and now it's been taken away from it. Well, and that, and we're grieving right now.
2: Yeah, now I, I would like a couple things to say. Um, first, I think in, in, the, in the case of white women, there was actually a split between educa- women who had college education they were more likely to vote for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. I think the Democrats had hoped that women without college educations, the beauticians of the world, you know, the, the nannies of the world, the women who, you know, the waitresses of the world, who frankly work, work their tails off. Um, but the, if you believe the exit polls, and I want to caution about that, mm-hmm. uh, and, and this is not just in the case of women, but in general, because I think the exit polls on Hispanics was off, Mm. And I don't believe that some of the stuff, because they had about 30 percent of Hispanics going for Trump. I don't think that's necessarily true. I've read several things since then where analysts say you, somebody goes up to an Hispanic and ask who they just voted for. They're not necessarily going to tell them. Same uh-huh. way with any other minorities. Uh-huh. They're like, excuse me. Uh-huh. So I've had so there's been several experts who have said, frankly, exit polls of minorities are often off. They don't necessarily trust the results they're getting because people, they feel kind of threatened when somebody Mm -hmm. comes up to them afterwards to vote. So I think that um, what happened with Clinton, even though she won nationally, frankly, Mm -hmm. it looks like by about 2%, which was what the polls said. Mm -hmm. But people forget uh, presidents are elected by states.
1: Mm -hmm. And because,
2: yes, the Mm -hmm. Electoral College, and because both campaigns, uh, mainly for strategic reasons, focused on about 15, 16 battleground states, and Missouri wasn't one of them. The result was, I think, that it left these states like Missouri to just kind of the voters to just see whatever they saw in national news. And and there
0: was a point where like the the Hillary Clinton campaign said that they were going to give $500,000 or a million dollars to Kander and Coster, And I was like- I think that's going to hurt more than it helps, because that's not a lot of money in those two races. Mm-hmm. And it gave both Greitens and Roy Blunt an opportunity to say, "Candor and Coster are beholden to Clinton, basically. W-
2: which they did. I mean, which, which, which Greitens in particular, which they did try to highlight, I think that... In and some, i think
0: that money was given to the party it wasn't yes, given directly but yes. it was meant to help them
2: well well it was supposed to help help with with turnout basically help the whole ticket but i think it did show the whole thing showed the weakness the democratic weakness and in that in rural parts of the country and i and and i i'm, I'm going to be a bit nuanced here rural working class whites and frankly i came from rural indiana I grew up with rural, working-class whites. Mm-hmm. Um, I get it. I understand what the frustrations have been. Their jobs have been outsourced for the last 30 years. Um, so you've got many older white men, in particular, working class, who have seen their um, jobs go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, 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 and in Missouri, that happened, and there was no attempt to outreach to them.
1: Yeah, see, you're venting, too. See, yeah, yeah. Yes, I am venting. I, but I think that's because we are not present as a Democrat. I, I, I go to rural Missouri quite a bit and I've I i help I've helped out campaigns and uh-huh. I've, I, I have some friends in rural Missouri I go and visit quite a bit because I, I like to learn what's going on there, around there. And um, we're not present, you know, and the Republicans are very much present. The truth is, it wasn't, you know, outsourcing is not a a, a a big thing that Democrats have pushed. That's a Republican thing. Exactly.
2: But the event, that's what's fascinating <laughs> but, and to the, me.
1: It's, and it, it, but if you if you visit rural Missouri a lot, you'll find out that many, many, of them, many of them haven't talked to a Democrat or a Democratic candidate in over a decade. Yeah. And the truth is. It's not that our message is bad. It's not that our message is not resonating. Our message is not even being told. Because they're not running candidates. Yes.
0: (laughs) Let's look at Northeast Missouri, which is a region of the state I bring up all the time because at the beginning of my career, it was was still Democratic on a state legislative level. Mm -hmm. In this past cycle, you had people who were Republicans in those Northeast Missouri district running unopposed in places that are historically Democratic. You saw that in Southeast Missouri in some places, in Central Missouri in some places. And I think both Joe and I were kind of taken aback that, I think, what, 60 or 70 Republicans were running unopposed or barely opposed? Mm-hmm. As what, what was your reaction when that happened? That had to be a big red flag from I,
1: the start. I remember uh, saying in 2014 that uh, there was enough, there were already enough un. un- contested seats, Republican seats, more than there were Democrats in the House at the time. There were six, over 60 uncontested seats in the Republican Party. At the time, there were 53 Democrats. So they technically already had more, than, more folks in us guaranteed than we currently have in the legislature. And part of the problem is that um, we're running a Republican game plan in the Democratic Party. And as, and as a party, what we have done is we're, we've been so focused on money and so focused on TV and so focused on running a national money-ran campaign, game, game plan, that we have taken our focus off people. We have huge human capital resources in the Democratic Party all across the state that don't get tapped into, that don't talk. And we save money, and we and we do a lot more when we, when we, when we dive into our human capital rather than focus so much on actual capital and getting on TV. T V doesn't give direct touches, it does and it doesn't uh it doesn't convince people that hand to hand, down home grassroots that Democratic Party was known for, it makes us look too big and corporate like we've been like we've been uh told told that like they've been told like citizens have been told by Republicans we are, rather than who we really are. We're we're for the we're for people. We're a people power party, not a money power party. We've got to get back to the grassroots and touching people directly.
0: So two days after the campaign ended, Jason Kander wrote a pretty uh, well circulated letter, and one of the paragraphs that got a lot of attention was as follows: "Be proud of the campaign we ran in a quote red state that Donald Trump won by 19 percent. We came within three percent of turning the Senate seat blue." And we didn't do it by hugging the middle or pretending to be moderate Republicans. I'm going to ask you straight out: Do you think that was a shot at Chris Coster? I, I don't. I don't believe so.
1: I think that that was uh, what candor has always done: is, is preach that we are the majority. There is a liberal and a Democrat majority in the state, and it's hard. It, it doesn't look like that right now, mm-hmm. but. Let's let's do the numbers. Let's let's look directly sure. at data. 3 million people voted in 2008 and 2012 in gen, in the general election. And in that and in that case, Barack Obama in 2008 only lost by 1%. He didn't play here. He lost by 10% in 2012. And this time around 2016, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton lost by oh, almost 20 points. 2.7 million people voted in the election. In 2010 and 2014, only 2 million people voted in those elections. We dropped a million people each time between midterm yeah, elections.
2: Yeah, and in many cases, those were Democratic votes.
1: Politics 101 will tell you the more people that vote, the more the the, the, dem, the greater chance Democrats have to win. Mm-hmm. If 6 million people voted on November 8th of 2016, there's, every Republican loses. If yeah. 6 million people—if 4 million people vote, then every Republican loses. The truth is— People, people believe in democratic policies. We just aren't engaging them in Missouri, and we aren't really giving them a good reason to to, to vote for some of our candidates.
2: Now, I, I I'm going to do a little defense of, of uh, Chris Koster, um, just from a strategic standpoint. He did campaign his tail off in yes, in uh, rural Missouri, so much so that you had some rural Democrats like um, who have. Who were sort of irked with him a little bit, but he you mean
0: urban democrats, yes. Yeah,
2: well, even uh, some rural democrats in who were uh, o- over the right to farm thing two years ago,
0: like Joe Maxwell and Wes Schumire, co-
2: co- correct? I wasn't going to get into names, but
0: no, I will because <laughs> they've they've disliked Coster on that issue for years, but, but my, continue. P- my
2: <laughs> point is, is that a he did take a stand on it, whether one agreed or disagreed, and mm-hmm. frankly, candor. Came out for uh, right to farm right, too. Right, right mm-hmm. to farm too. So from that standpoint, you know, Kander can't say I just ran as a liberal. And, and also
0: to interject, and and if you listen to the archives of this show, there have been few other journalists in the state of Missouri who have brought up the fact that Chris Coster holds conservative policy positions than I have. And I've asked Democrats, maybe not necessarily you, mm-hmm. over and over again whether they had a problem with that. That included <laughs> Jason Kander, that included Scott Sifton. I know Joe asked. Claire McCaskill, if, he, if, if she had a problem with Coster's then opposition to donation limits, very few politicians yeah, spoke l- out l- against that.
2: But, but, but I, I think we need to point out, because I'm older than you, when I was started covering politics yeah. uh, over, I mean, <laughs> over 25, but frankly... Before fr- I, maybe, I was born, but continue. Before you were born, there were a lot of Democrats in the state who were conservative I understand on some that. of those that, issues. So that's the point I'll yeah, make. Okay. I, I, they the truth they is, weren't all... Monolith and True. to give Coster credit, and as I said, and, and he could be difficult, all right. I mean, we never got him in the studio, but <laughs> but he did. He supported uh Medicaid expansion, whether one agrees or disagrees. And he drove and he never so I'll, I'll from say that, this, yeah. he never stepped well, away from that. What Representative Butler did, okay. Answer.
1: And and Joe, we're, we're gonna repeat something. the truth is. To cost Koster, in Coster's defense, Coster is once again one of the best politicians this and state seen. And he raised a
2: lot of Democratic money for Democrats.
1: Coster, we've never Coster embodies the fact that we have never had a Democratic majority in the state without conservative Democrats. In fact, we have never had a Democrat majority nationally without including conservative, pro-life, program Democrats. And the I think the question in our party that that we're asking now is whether we're going to continue the Coster line, Republican light line or whether we're going to steer more liberal and which one which message works and t- to some folks folks we, we lost on both sides of that and the truth is e- neither one works the truth the, the problem is not our messaging the problem is that we're not present and we're not even That's giving it. giving people our we're not engaging our voters we're not we're not driving turnout like we did before 2006 we're not driving it up to where we can get above 3 million votes to engage a majority that can never be beaten so and it's it's so i think we've got to do case by case district by district uh, and actually represent people and message to people and then and, and and let and let that drive our party. So there was a time where, um, there were conservative Democrats and liberal Democrats in the same party, and everybody got along on new ideas, on good ideas that ran government. And we can't even get to the new ideas because we, as a as a party, are not even informing people on what the old what our stance are on the old ideas.
0: So to kind of hit uh, this this kind of dichotomy home, I've actually compiled a clip of Eric Greitens and Chris Coster answering a same question that I, I posed to them: Do you support a proposal to have a outside prosecutor look into any instance where a police officer kills somebody. This is both of their responses. We need to do everything that we can in the state of Missouri to support our law enforcement officers and increase confidence and trust between our law enforcement officers and the communities that they're policing. And in situations where you have any kind of officer-involved shooting, we need to put in place a system that's going to make sure that we get all of the facts so that people can have confidence
1: in the, in the results that we're getting. And in some circumstances, that might be the way for us to go. Bob McCullough is the most experienced prosecutor in the state of Missouri.
2: And St. Louis County has elected Bob McCullough. And I think that it is important that the established rule of law be maintained. So I disagree with Eric uh, that we should, if, if Eric is saying that he wants to make it up as we go along during chaotic moments, that would
0: be a division between the two of us. So you're a legislator who I I know from talking with you, Michael Brown's shooting death impacted both personally and from a public policy standpoint. Yes. When you hear a clip like that where the first clip is of the Republican nominee for governor and the second is the Democratic nominee for governor, what are you thinking?
1: So I'm thinking today uh, what I originally said. I I think that we, especially as African-Americans, overlook some things with, with our top Democratic candidate in order to get a little bit back. And that's one reason why I think we, we're hurting so much as Democrats, especially specifically as African-Americans in Missouri, because we, we gave so much in order just to have that win, and we still lost. Um, uh, it also It also kind of reinforces the fact that a lot of candidates, including Democrats, have ran on messages that don't support the African-American community. And they, know, they think that they can pick up votes by not supporting the African-American And it hurts even more as Democrats because we're the most loyal base. We're the most loyal base in the Democratic Party. And yet um, we have a candidate for governor who openly supported a name of a person that is pretty much mud in the black community in, in, in the St. Louis region.
2: Now, um, okay, playing devil's advocate here. I mean, the 2016 turnout in Missouri in urban areas— if you look at the St. Louis, St. Louis County, Kansas City, it was about 50,000 votes less than in 2012. We don't know what race or what party they were, but, I mean, I let's just say devil's advocate, let's say they were all Democrats, maybe a decent uh, oh. pr- proportion, minority voters. Even if they had all turned out, Koster still would have lost. Kander still would have lost. Kander, who came the closest still lost to Roy Blunt by close to 90,000 votes. So when you're dealing with a phenomenon like Donald Trump, uh, for whatever reason, who happened to capture the imagination of many um, working class white voters, how do you, I mean, as Democrats, how, I mean, what could the party have done to at least reduce his margin or was there anything that the party could have done to reduce his margin? And like, like, like I said, it, turnout was lower in urban areas,
1: and uh, we weren't engaged in urban areas um, as as in the past. And and I'll I'll take some some blame as far as urban elected officials and urban politicos who have changed tactics as well that don't directly engage voters as well. I'm not one of them. So I don't. I don't. I don't uh, I'll take some blame, but I don't prescribe to those tactics. I, I, I knock doors. I canvass constantly. I do I do normal I do things outside of the election to keep people informed. But I'm I'm a rarity in some cases in the urban areas that keeps that that does that. And we've got to engage. So 50. So this is say 50,000 voter voters in St. Louis City, and St. Louis County. Let's assume some a lot. Quite a few of those are African-American. African-Americans are not relegated to just St. Louis City, St. Louis County. Let's imagine right. that there were African Americans in Southeast Missouri that were turned off, African Americans in Kansas City that were turned off, African Americans in Columbia, African Americans in growing population, African Americans in Springfield that were turned yeah. off. Yes. You can quickly add up to about fifty thousand to hundred thousand African Americans that might not that, that might might have not voted. And then so and that that's about enough that would put Costa over the top and put well and put definitely put candor over the top. But, you know We we've got to engage. Once again, our mark at our goal as a Democratic Party should not be to be focused on you use the word margin, but before focused on the other word you use, which is turnout. If we get above three million, we win. When more people vote, we win. When more people are engaged and informed in this state, Democrats win and we will continue to win. Whenever we're under three million, We lose. So there's there's, gotta be focused on that.
0: There's been a lot of we've we've spent a lot of time talking about coster and candor, but I also want to talk about the down ballot situation too. And when I say down ballot, I'm talking about lieutenant governor, secretary of state, attorney general, treasurer, all the Democratic candidates, even one like Russ Carnahan, who I think universally was seen as being a pretty good candidate. Mm -hmm. They lost by over 10 percentage points. (laughs) One of the people that lost was um, Robin Smith to Jay Ashcroft, a, a Republican who the next speaker who I'm about to play, State Senator Jill Shoup, beat by almost five percentage points in 2014, which, as Joe and I know, not a good year for Democrats.
1: Correct. So this is how- And that was a Republican incumbent state Senate
0: seat. Exactly, John Lamping seat. This is how Jill Shoup reacted. when I. It was a raw moment. I'm going to be candid here. It was right after she had found out every Democrat had lost- But this is how she reacted to the fact that somebody she beat two years ago is now Secretary of State.
2: Well, it is mortifying. And, you know, obviously this was a tougher election year than any of us thought. Um, I know that the people that I worked with worked really hard. I don't know what people mean when they say they want change. Things are working well in our country. And this is, um, I don't have an answer for you. If I did, I would have gotten inserted myself and, and, and made some changes. But it is unbelievable to think that someone who I beat in my Senate race can go in and take over an important office like the Secretary of State's office with zero experience, or the governor's office, with zero experience in how to, in how to lead and how to show and demonstrate a vision and how to serve the people of the state of Missouri well.
0: So I bring up that point for a specific reason. I heard a lot of internal complaints, not necessarily about Russ Carnahan, but about the other down ballots, that they weren't raising enough money. Sometimes they weren't being supported as much as, say, cost or candor. And they
2: weren't weren't out there campaigning (laughs) in many cases. I mean,
0: the, the criticism I've heard of Robin Smith has been especially harsh as well. And Considering Jason Kander voluntarily gave up that office to run for the U.S. Senate, my thought was that they were going to put somebody in there, by they I mean the Democratic Party, who was going to be able to go up against someone like Jay Ashcroft, who has a lot of name recognition Mm -hmm. because his dad was, you know, governor, U.S. senator, attorney general. So just in the down ballots, where do you think that your party went went wrong? I I think –
1: uh, our party went wrong in in the the folks the that didn't do well down ballot one were not supported as the top ballot elections let 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 me let me make a a little in defense of some of the down ballot. They had a very tough time raising money at the time when more money was coming to the state than has been in the past eight years right. and in history we had a we had a governor candidate who raised over twenty seven million dollars and yet we had down ballot statewide races that could barely get to five. And didn't get to five. In some in some cases, I don't think Robin even got to two million dollars. Mm-hmm. So in Robin's little in in a, in a little bit of defensive, of Robin people didn't give priority to these down ballot races like they did in the past, like we did with Candor. And like we did with uh like we did with Zweifel when they were running for mm-hmm. Secretary there's treasure
0: there's one one person one one theory I've heard is because that they were female candidates mm. they got a short shrift compared to mm. people like coster and candor mm. what do you what do you think about that
1: i I can speak to that i yeah. i think um I think that that is a crazy coincidence um but i i I don't know that directly. What I will say is that i I remember being very offended by my own party um there was a union rally about in St. Louis about three days before the election. Yeah, I was there, and uh, I didn't attend for one specific reason. When the flyer came out, there was Coster on the flyer and Kander on the flyer and Martin Luther King III. And I remember thinking, um, we have an African American running statewide. We have a Af- we have a statewide candidate here, a statewide candidate here, and yet the only African American on the flyer to draw people out clearly to rally was not a statewide candidate. And I, and I actually. You know, screenshot it on my phone and say, you know what, after we win the election, Costa wins, I'm going to post it the next day and say, hey, we won, but, you know, we got to work on this as a party. And then after we lost, I was like, I'll maybe wait a while before I, I post it. And
0: I brought this up, too, and Joe may disagree with me. That rally was held in South St. Louis. South St. Louis. And not in a particularly African-American part.
1: And – but – What's offensive well, is that the only person I there, were, there was, weren't enough Democrats, black African-American Democrat yeah. uh, leaders in the party to put that person on the flyer. We don't have a James Clyburn. Mm-hmm. We don't have a Jim Clyburn. We don't have a, uh, a a Cory Booker. We don't have that in this state. And yet we have somebody running statewide in Robin mm-hmm. Smith. We have other African-American like Kiki Curls, mm-hmm. state senators and, and folks in state government. I would include Jamil Nasheed as, as, as a a very motivating voice in the African-American yeah. community. And yet we had to ins- outsource somebody like and, and what's even more offensive offensive, is that it was the person's name was Martin Luther King. We had to get a Martin Luther King to come to St. Louis yeah. in order to try to motivate African-American voters. And here's the, here's the clicker. Here's what, It didn't work. It clearly didn't work. And we clearly paid Martin Luther King III some money to be here that didn't go into local... African-American wards and local African-American p- operators have been working for this party for years and that know how to drive out votes. Martin Luther King III, with all due respect to him, does not know how to drive out votes in St. Louis City.
2: Now, now to be fair, I I think they they picked that particular hall because that's along the, the Union Strip.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. And,
2: and And it's a large hall. And frankly, it's not deep south Saint it's Louis. not
0: but it is <laughs> it's it's, it's right not we're, we're not talking about the southeast side we're talking about the southwest <laughs> side but,
2: but but my point is that rally was not directed at african-americans as much it was directed at um both white and black because uh, why can why because we have any Demo- african-american leaders yeah had been going to black churches for at, at that point for two days now you raise a very good point that they um, had him traveling to all these churches. Yet I noticed at the rally, and there were a number of African Americans there. Was
0: Robin Smith even at that rally? No, she was no. not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Martin King III was the only African American person on the stage, with all other. And I was Democratic asking about that state-wise. because yeah.
2: because one of the things that I wondered, well, because Hensley didn't show up either; she was over in Kansas City, correct? But I thought, okay. Back in the Mel Carnahan days, 20 years ago, what he used to do is get everybody on the bus. I mean, I traveled, you know, with them a couple times, so they were on a bus or a plane, the whole ticket. This time, it was Coster and Candor on the bus going around the state, mm-hmm. but
0: not the rest. But of the t- not the
2: rest of the ticket, and, and I l- always wondered why.
1: And so, I, let me be clear: I'm, our party is not a racist. Our party leaders are not a racist. Our party leaders are not ignoring not not I'm not necessarily claiming they're ignoring the, the African American community. The point I'm making is that we are running a Republican game in the Democratic yeah. Party. Oh, and yeah. what we're we are missing the little things that Mel and other folks understood that and that have huge implications on elections, but you know, little small things like inviting the correct people to be on the stage and inviting uh, the correct people to, to participate in planning discussions, inviting the correct people in, in, in all parts of our party to benefit and, and, and get funding in order to, to get the vote out, we're missing that part clearly, and we've got to change that.
2: Well, I wasn't implying that there was a racial No, I agree. No, I, 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 I was, I was, because there was, you the know, fly. I mean, the <laughs> down ballot was mainly, you know, white, but you had Robin Carnahan. And I mean, Robin Smith, now I don't know if she had been asked and just didn't show. So I'm not going to be jumping to conclusions. But my point is that there there seem to be less of an effort to try to bring in the down ballots and try to help them, whether it doesn't have to necessarily be money, but to make sure that they're there at these big rallies so they have a chance to address the audience. I mean, I had never seen that before, because every major Democratic rally right before an election in Missouri that I've ever covered, mm-hmm. there would be every everybody on the ticket yeah. there, whether they were strong well, or weak, they I, would all be I have there. another
0: question. Do you think that there was kind of a top-down effort to shape the down-ballot ticket the way it was? Because I heard a lot of rumblings that there were a lot of people that didn't want Jake Zimmerman to be the attorney general candidate. They wanted him to run for something else, and there were some bigwigs that wanted Hensley over him. And they wanted Russ Carnahan, and they wanted Robin Smith, and they wanted maybe Judy Baker. Did you hear whether it was a top-down effort to make sure that ticket was the way it was? I couldn't speak directly. That I, I, I'm not at the top. I'm kind of more in the. I middle. understand. Understood. I'm I, just curious.
1: I, I think it. Um, I think we clearly have a, uh, in our party have have had a centralized, um, focus and a centralized organization where there is kind of a top-down focus where. Where uh, there are a lot of decisions made in the party that don't represent the uh, the decisions that will be made by the people in general mm. and, the, and the, a lot of the members of the party, uh, I, I clearly don't know the answer to that because even as a state elected official and a, a, a local committee man, I'm not invited to. I wasn't invited to those planning meetings. Yeah, so,
0: I, I asked that because I, I this certainly wasn't the prettiest way for the Republicans to get their statewide ticket because they all of them were except for Eric Schmidt were contested, very contentious primaries. And that signaled to me it was absolutely not a top-down situation. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have had Eric Greitens as the nominee because— I've been talking about rumblings a lot. There well, are a lot of Republicans that didn't like Eric Greitens. A lot sure. of them
2: don't, and a lot of them still don't. They I mean, didn't like I, Trump either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying it's fair or unfair. Oh, yeah, listen, I was at the Greitens rally the night before the election. There was a lot of top Republicans there, and they were assuming, you know, they thought it would be close between Greitens and Koster, but and they knew Trump would carry the state, but they didn't think by so much, and they were assuming Hillary would win, and their whole thing was they were hoping they could get Roy Blunt in as a check to her. I mean, I talked to many top Republicans in the days after the election who privately were stunned that Trump won nationally. I mean, they yeah. knew they but were going to I think state. this
1: goes to, or talking, this conversation goes to what the, the main theme, what we had to do as a party. And it's not so much on the outside looking in as we have to change our message and we have to change who yeah. we are. It's that on the inside, we have to change our tactics as a party. We have to start acting like, people power democrats again and we've got to engage people we've got to engage our own members to be in the planning of those things we have got to engage people before the election and during and at a time now and in January to get the right plan in place and execute that plan and act and actually be present with folks and voters before before filing begins and then and, and then win an election but we the problem is for the past few cycles we felt that we we should just wait to the election you know, make decisions at the top. We know what we're doing. The people, in some cases, the other people don't. The Bernie crowd doesn't really know what they're doing. They're too new. But we've got to get past that and learn how to work together and work how we used to and and, and work uh, for people like we used to.
2: Well, and to be fair, on the Democratic side, um, most of the down ballot races did have uh, spirited primaries. So it wasn't the case. I mean, even if a establishment wanted a certain person uh that person didn't i mean frankly they were stunned when hensley knocked off zimmerman because zimmerman yes. had more money i would say
1: that was the only one i mean robin smith did not have a primary no. judy baker well, and pat she, Contreras was a good yes, nice young yes, face yes. but it really wasn't a judy really really beat my good friend pat pretty bad and a lot of people and, knew but that my point is yeah.
2: there was a ver- people who went to the polls in august had some choices there was really only there were
0: there there were in a couple races i agree with that i mean
2: that but 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 my my point being is after that and i'm going to hit this again in the in the days of mel carnahan and not that he didn't have his detractors i mean he was not like a riveting speaker or anything but the man was biggie on big on organization and in the 1990s okay when judy moriarty came out of this crowded a Democratic primary in 92 to win the Secretary of State's nomination. She was not supposed to have won. The establishment Democrats didn't want her to win. She ended up being impeached after she won about a year later, but that's a side story. Mm-hmm. But my point being that even that case, when Carnahan made sure everybody was on the bus traveling the state, she was on the bus. Mm-hmm. He had people, tra- he had them traveling around in small planes together, the whole ticket, she was on the on the plane. My point being is that he was the candidate for governor, and he made sure that the public saw a unified total Democratic ticket which had men and women on it mm-hmm. and and it I was surprised that this time and and there, and I respect many of the people who uh, run the Missouri Democratic Party. but I was surprised that they didn't make more that more of an effort. The Republicans had more of a show of that. There was many more events where you would have almost yeah, everybody exactly. on the ticket show I we can
1: up. talk to that as well when it comes to the Democratic Party. I think as a party, parties all, Democratic parties even in some cases Republican parties all across the country are becoming less and less important <laughs> as candidates are, are, are able to raise point. the money more. And this year uh, the party did not not raise as much money as they used to in the 90s. Yeah. And I, I I consistently say I've I've gripes about the party, but the party they're like teachers, man. They're doing what they can with what they got. Uh, the the responsibility in the past few cycles has always relied on the top of the ticket, and uh, to your point, still the the governor's candidate, and um, who was able to raise a historic amount of money. And it just didn't work for us because we didn't drive turnout.
2: But I do want to be fair that Coster did help everybody else raise some money. And the only reason but I'm bringing not up— not
1: near that, as much as, as, as the advantage yet, as he had. Yeah, but it's yet. not
2: like on the Republican side. Greitens helped people raise money. And,
1: and this is not—but I, I want to specifically say that I, I don't think there are a lot of things that we did that we shouldn't— 90 percent of what we did, we should continue to do. We need right. to add an addition on to on, uh, add more things that we're doing, right? Like making sure there are African-American leaders and Latino leaders and female leaders in the party that can drive our votes, making sure that there are uh, that that our operatives and the folks locally especially in rural pickup areas that we have good leaders, hold, you know, pe- people that are recognizable and respected in our party that are not afraid to speak out. Make sure we're supporting them financially and, and morally and that we're not waiting until election time to do that. Make sure we're informing voters and informing people about the the conservative policies that are con- going to come up that we know will not work. Making sure we're letting people know what the Republicans are doing in Jefferson, C- Jefferson City rather than waiting until election time and uh, letting and, and letting them know that some some of the things that they did. Do on.
2: you think okay? Campaign donation limits are going to go into effect in in about a week. Mm, yeah. And even though there may be a court case over it, I mean, I've got a story that should be up in a couple hours where even the lawyer who's representing the critics who are going to court. They will not. They are not challenging the limits. They're challenging other provisions of the bill. My point being that campaign donation limits for both parties may force a change and how they operate because you're not going to have a single candidate who can collect all that money again you're going to end up well you're going to end up more of that money
0: going to the party the, the big question is whether the the things that they're challenging will kill the rest of the amendment it's possible no
2: that, it, it well because it has a severability well, clause we've well we've
0: never had a situation before i, I in my in my memory where they've tried to take out aspects of a constitutional amendment before. I think that's going to be an issue. But, but can, it has a severability oh, so l- Let me
1: speak. To, I, I think that goes directly into the point I'm making. We can't be so much so focused on money power. Oh, I think campaign finance limits are um, will neither benefit the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Ten years ago, it would, have been a, it would have benefited us more before Rex Singfield as an individual donor and David Humphries as an individual donor who are not. Who, are, who will not be restricted by these limits, came into play? Uh, when there were much more more corporate donors in, in Missouri that there, there were more focused on- Well,
2: they'll on be programs. more restricted from a the standpoint they're going to have to set up 2 million groups to <laughs> set up their money. They, but, or they'll
0: just give money to a third-party pack that's not limited, but Right, continue. right. At the end of exactly. the day,
1: if, we're, if we know we're not going to raise as much money, we have to be more focused on people power. And this should- force us to be more focused on our human capital, which can't be limited, than our our, our actual financial capital. So it could help us. And the truth is, uh, the Republicans have already been doing that. And we don't we don't want to admit that the Republicans are doing a great job of motivating people or keeping in touch with people and informing people in the areas that we need to pick up. And we don't want to admit that they're saving a lot of money by doing that while still raising more money than us. So if we have campaign limits I don't think that's a good enough excuse for us to say we lost. Just so we talked earlier about gerrymandering, I, I, I specifically think that we we have given this message for the past 8 to 10 years that the Republicans are cheating. They're winning because they're cheating, and the truth is the voters just don't care. They just the voter, Winning solves all things, yeah. and voters really don't care and, if they're cheating. And, and at the same time, we're even losing districts that are majority Democrat.
0: To kind of piggyback so, on your point for a second, I've been hearing this argument that the reason the legislature is incredibly Republican is because of quote unquote gerrymandering. Now, I'm not going to say that the maps that came out in 2011 and 12 were great for Democrats, but when I look at a map and I see, as I said before, places like Monroe County, Rawls County, Shelby County, Saline County, New Madrid County, which were Democratic four years ago, five years ago, all have Republican representatives. You can't blame that entirely on gerrymandering. You have to blame that on what you've been talking about, the fact that the Democrats haven't been present in these areas. And well, and yeah, I'm, and when I, you
2: have dozens and dozens of races where there aren't Democrats yep. running, that's right. And, and at,
1: at the same time in the 2012 election, you saw those same counties, and in some cases, the same—the entire state representative district that was gerrymandered. Now, gerrymandering is a problem. There are some districts that they have that are gerrymandered, but... At the same time, you you saw Kander winning as a Secretary of State's race. You saw Nixon blow blow that state representative district out of right. the water. But going back, Nixon was not present for those state representative candidates in those districts. Mm-hmm. Nixon did not invest in those candidates, and we weren't present in those in, in, at the on those down ballot down ballot legislative races. I and mean, you have in some cases in Southeast Missouri entire state senate districts that were won by Democrats six out of seven statewide, and yet. Were the the Democratic state legislative candidates, state reps, and state senators, lost horribly because yeah. we weren't present, and we're and it's not because of the way the district is drawn, it's because we're not doing what we need to do to engage the voters in the district for those can for for those races.
2: Because one thing I'd like to mention is that I think that the Trump phenomenon, which had such a huge impact in Missouri, may be something that people don't see that often. I mean, I think that, um, and I've said this many times. Both parties, I think, underestimated him, regardless of what one thinks about his issues or his behavior. The man won pretty much on his own. Most of the Republican Party was not behind him. He, The money that he spent was mainly money that he generated himself. There was no ground game. There was no,
0: there was no ground game the, in Missouri there, for there Donald no, Trump. Right. Absolutely not. Yet, I
2: mean, yet he still won by 19 points. My point being and is that, that,
0: that— And by <laughs> the way, that's no disrespect to Aaron Willard and Todd— who were with the Republican uh, presidential campaign. I think they did did the best they could, but it was not as organized as usual. Yeah,
2: (laughs) but but, so my point is that he generated all this support and all this passion just from the—it reflected, I think, in some cases the desperation of some of these voters and the unrest. But my point being is that I think if Democrats nationally and in the state somehow say well okay you know we're not going to deal with that we're going to deal with some of this other stuff to try to improve the my point is is that if you do not respect what he did whether one agrees or disagrees with his views if you do not respect what he did you cannot figure out a way to challenge I mean you you're never really going to figure out a way yeah. to challenge it because really as i said there was Phyllis Schlafly, who died Labor Day, was the only major Republican in the state who backed Donald Trump. And Ed Martin. Well,
0: but my (laughs) point— Who might be be getting an appointment soon. But but my
2: point is, you look at all the elected officials, you look at all the statewide officials, they didn't back him. My point is, he still won the state by 19 points anyway, and I think Democrats, as well as Republicans— need to be examining that saying what does that mean about what the electorate's feeling you know, and how do they respond to it and not just blow it off you know That's i, have, my I point.
1: have a saying that politics is not so much about reason right. as it is about relationships and while reason matters relationships matter even more and i i know that us as democrats educated democrats we we think because we're right that we are better in some cases and we think that because we're right on the issues and our reason is good that because we're going to win because of that. And the truth is that's that's not how you win. We've got to match our reason with our relationships in the areas that we need to grow in and build those relationships, cultivate those relationships to win. That's what Donald Trump—Donald Trump was able to relate more to those voters than we were as a party. Even though he's a and billionaire and lives in New York. And you can't build a relationship specifically without um, without being present. Now, more importantly— Those down ballot races, specifically the state legislative races where they have a super majority and they those folks show up and their relationships. Those candidates that they field are very well known, very respected uh, profiles and folks in those different areas, especially in southeast Missouri. We don't do a good job of finding candidates and fielding candidates like we used to in those areas that have the relationships. Now, we're right on the issues. We're right on the issues with low-income um, uh, rural Missourians. right on the issues with, with speaking for unions. But those folks don't can't co- relate to our candidates, and they, and we don't have the right relationships to make it happen.
0: We want to thank you for coming on the show again. This was a fascinating and, I think, important discussion and for the Democrats. And very good analysis. And very, very good analysis. Very, very thank good. you. We will have you on again not three years from now. I, I promise you that. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at...
2: J Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. How would
0: people follow you on social media or otherwise? Rep Mike Butler. Until next time, so long. the
2: wrong the wrong about the
1: A little time out, might do you good, might do what's good for, we be done for good.